it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty joining you this afternoon along with Michael Brauner behind the glass taking your telephone call at 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here at the station. And don't forget today we're giving away another pair of boat show tickets each and every day this week and that boat show will be at the mobile convention center this weekend and you can win a pair of those boat tickets just make sure you tune in and listen for that motorboat sound and once you do hear that motorboat sound you can go ahead and qualify to win those pair of tickets here on wnsp and michael it's a hump day here at the Legacy Arena in Birmingham, Alabama, but it was not a great day for our local basketball teams as they got started early this morning. At 9 o'clock a.m., the McGill-Tulin Yellow Jackets, the Lady Yellow Jackets, they fell to five-time defending state champion Hazel Green, 49-22, to Hazel Green was able to lead from start to finish. They're 35 and 1 on the season. McGill Tulin ends the season at 29 and 6, but Carla Berry and these young ladies fought valiantly all season long. At the end of the first quarter, Mike, it was a very low-scoring girls game, 5 to 2 was our score at the end of the first quarter and then Hazel Green turned it up defensively and outscored the Lady Yellow Jackets 13 to 4 in the second quarter and came out of halftime on fire scoring 20 points and McGill Tulin only scored five and in the fourth quarter again no quit out of these Lady Yellow Jackets tied up at 11 apiece as far as from a scoring standpoint but the Lady Yellow Jackets season does come to an end they fall to Hazel Green 49 to 22. And, Mike, when you start talking about Hazel Green girls basketball, this is a team that set a record here in the state of Alabama for 87 consecutive wins for that program before it was snapped at the end of January by Hoover High School. And that was a very impressive feat when you start talking about trying to win three or four games in a row Putting together 87 consecutive wins, that's pretty impressive in any sport. <laughs> 87 is uh, is quite the number. I remember when the, the story broke that, that Hoover had ended that, and 
my first thought was, oh, well, Hazel Green probably won't lose another game the rest of the season. So we'll we'll see if they uh, they do go and triumph. And, and what's amazing, Mike, when you start looking at basketball, be it girls or boys here in the state of Alabama, when you start looking at five consecutive state championships, that's that's amazing in any sport. But I, I tell you, when you start comparing it to what has been done here by Ann Schilling in girls volleyball, winning 20 consecutive titles, that is unheard of anywhere in the country. And she's been able to put 20 state titles in a row together from a girls volleyball standpoint. And, of course, Tim Miller and Hazel Green, the Lady Trojans, trying to put together number six. But 20 and six, you know, I, I just, that's why to me, Ann Schilling is the best coach in high school athletics in America when you start looking at her being able to win 20 consecutive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's an unfathomable number. It's, it's literally... As long as I've been alive, Ann Schilling at Bayside Academy has been winning state championships, <laughs> like consecutively and without losing a state championship the entire time throughout my entire life. It really puts that into perspective there. But, yeah, it, it, it really does. And that's why I say kudos to Tim Miller and Hazel Green as, again, they're chasing title number six in a row. And. Right after that game, Mike, I had an opportunity to broadcast on the AHSAA radio network and the NFHS network, the McGill Tulin boys. They played Buckhorn. The Bucks were able to defeat McGill Tulin 65-57. to And you heard about a young player last year at McGill Tulin by the name of Barry Dunning Jr. that won Mr. Basketball in the state of Alabama. Well, there's a young freshman at Buckhorn High School. His name is Caleb Holt. Mark that name down. Caleb Holt wound up scoring 33 points today in 30 minutes and had 14 rebounds. Was 16 of 19 from the line, but this young man is nothing but a freshman, a freshman at Buckhorn. He's going to wind up being one of the best freshmen in America by the time he hits the youth basketball circuit in the summertime. But he absolutely took over this game as McGill Tulin was leading 30-27 to 27 at halftime and a turnaround three-pointer at the buzzer by Bennett Russ gave Phillip Murphy a lot of momentum going into the half as the Yellow Jackets were up 30-27 to 27 and came out of the half and really were on fire and led by as many as 12 points in the third quarter with 4.49 remaining. McGill Tulin was up 12, but that's exactly when Buckhorn's Caleb Holt decided to take over the contest and McGill Tulin falls 65-57. to 57. And again, the McGill Tulin boys had won 19 consecutive games in a row. And really, nobody expected McGill to be here. And I, I say that Mark Heim has a son on the team. Of course, we all know Mark from the morning show with Lee Shavanian. And Mark's son did a tremendous job just being a floor general all season long took a charge in the game, is the, the assist leader in regards to distributing the basketball. And you, you start looking at late, McGill was down by three, and he's able to force a turnover. So 
Alex Heim plays with a lot of passion, but the McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets today, led by Bennett Russ's 20 points and Devin McCain's 14 points, could not overcome Caleb Holt's 33 points as the McGill Tulin boys fall 65 to 57 in the 6A state semifinals. So you start looking at Hillcrest Evergreen losing yesterday and then UMS Wright losing yesterday. And, of course, today McGill Tulin's boys and girls falling. It will be on the hands of Foley's girls tomorrow at noon. They take on Sparkman in the 7A girls semifinal, the first time ever in the history, boys or girls of Foley High School, for them to make an appearance here in the Final Four, and they'll have their hands full tomorrow. But you start talking about St. Luke's being really the only team remaining, and St. Luke's boys, of course, they beat Mars Hill Bible 63-56 to on Monday night, and they will play for a state championship versus Aliceville on Friday, and that's going to be a, a wonderful contest. And I'll be having an opportunity to do the PA announcing for that game. But, Mike, plenty of high school athletics and sports going on in the state championship. It ends, again, our winter sports, as Coach Terry Curtis said yesterday, it ends, basketball does end our winter sports, and we're in full effect with our spring sports. And when spring has sprung, it does mean that we have March Madness as well and the Alabama Crimson Tie take on the Auburn Tigers tonight at 6 o'clock. That's a 6 o'clock p.m. ESPN 2 tip-off. And Alabama has an opportunity to cut down the nets in the regular season for the second time in the NATO's era. Yeah, I mean, I I love this game tonight, man. This is this is a huge high-stakes game for for both teams tonight. I Alabama obviously can win the SEC, can secure the SEC regular or at least solo. Yeah, they've clinched a share, but no one wants the no one, no one wants the shared title. No, uh, you want you <laughs> you want the solo title. So Alabama can secure a solo title tonight with uh, with a win over Auburn against your rival in Coleman Coliseum, last home game of the season. Cut down the nets in Coleman Coliseum. So you know you don't have to even say what the stakes are for Alabama. And then for Auburn, I mean, this will be a season-defining win for them this is we not only would it lock up an ncaa tournament bid but give them some positive momentum headed into the sec tournament and ultimately the ncaa tournament because you win tonight you're in uh without a doubt you lose tonight and you lose to tennessee you're in some dicey territory so if they can if they if auburn were able to get it done tonight i mean it's hard to say who the stakes are bigger for tonight which team but i mean it doesn't even matter i it's just, uh, it's just a massive Iron Bowl of basketball part two tonight. Well, i tell you what, what we had questioned to us, and I thought that it was a situation to where we have to come up with the name, and I would love for the people in the app or give the station a call, 251-694-1055. We're working on renaming or finding a, a defining name for the Alabama-Auburn basketball game because it, it, you can't truly call it the Iron Bowl because that is meant for football, but it gets carried over for so long. And what would you name 
the Auburn-Alabama basketball game. I mean, again, some people just still call it the Iron Bowl, but we know truly that's not what it is. Mike, have you thought of any ideas to name the Auburn-Alabama basketball rivalry? Because it, it definitely runs as deep as the football passion does in this state for sure. Listen, I'm open to any suggestions. I, I, I love, I'm going to keep calling it the Iron Bowl of Basketball, the, or a.k.a. IBOB, until I hear something better. So, you know, 251-694-1055 if you have something better. Uh, but I, for, for now, I'm okay with the IBOB. That being said, I mean, you brought up the intensity of the rivalry. I think it was Bruce Pearl said to Nate Oates a couple years ago, this – I mean, both teams being good and relevant nationally is good for basketball in the state of Alabama. It, it, it's so the the fact that I mean, obviously these two teams have never liked each other in basketball, but it feels like in the past couple of years, especially the intensity of this rivalry on the basketball court specifically has ramped up ten notches. Nate Oates and Bruce Pearl have have uh, brought you know a new level of energy to each program, and these teams do not like each other. I mean, you had Javon Quinterly and Janai Broom going at each other on Twitter during the season. Javon Quinterly's expect to lose by thirty. Janai Broom calling him a clown. Uh, I, I mean, it's just it's great stuff. These two teams do not like each other and these two fan bases uh do not like each other and it, it's just it's phenomenal stuff I, I i am so excited for tonight a couple of questions that were posed in the app of uh, any thoughts on who i think will win the st luke's versus aliceville game well i'm definitely going to be pro st luke's and hope that coach Treywick can make history and win the first ever state championship in boys basketball for that program. I know they've been state runner-up in both the boys and the girls, but have never in school history won it. And I think Aliceville is a very long team. They love to get to the free throw line. And, you know, St. Luke's is going to have to be in a situation where they don't do a lot of fouling to keep their hopes alive there. But I definitely think they can win it. Now, another couple of names that have been suggested. I, I like the Iron Classic. I think that the that Iron is, is pretty good. The Iron Classic as well as the Iron Game. Uh, but I like the Iron Classic more so than the Iron Game. And we would love to hear from you in the app about what should we name the Alabama-Auburn basketball rivalry. Because, again, when you think about Iron Bowl, you definitely think about Alabama-Auburn football. But it's a situation to where – we would love to hear from you, and so far, the Iron Classic. I got. I had. I just had a caller tell me the Iron Basketball. Not bad. Not bad. I mean, I guess and we're trying to get away pretty. from the Iron theme. You know, give it its own thing. So if someone has something unique and different for me, again, I'm satisfied with IBOP. But if someone has something super, uh, super off the wall for me, two five one six nine four one zero five. to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner taking your calls. And again, we have a great show lined up for you today. We have someone in the app wants to know, hey, who's going to join you today? Corey, Daniel Wolken from USA Today will be joining us here in about eight minutes along with Grant McCauley at 4 o'clock. He will be talking about the Atlanta Braves. Wilt Sanderson 
the legendary plaid player will be joining us by phone at 4.30, scheduled to join us. A.J. McCarron, scheduled to join us at the top of the hour at 5 o'clock. And Bishop State Community College women's basketball coach Adra Harris, also scheduled to join us at 5.30. So we have an outstanding lineup for you on this hump day. And, Mike, before we went to break, we were trying to find out some great nicknames for what you need to call the Alabama-Auburn basketball game because you say call it the I-Bob, the Iron Bowl of basketball, and we've had some pretty creative names by our apps and our callers as well. Yeah, there were some good ones. Uh, I, I like the simple one that one caller gave me of just straight bragging rights. Just just bragging rights. I liked that one. My favorite one was uh, the Yellowhammer Classic. Someone said the Yellowhammer Jam. I think that might have been the same person. But uh, I, I like both of those. Uh, there, there were some good ones. The Crimson and Orange class, some, uh, Clash. Someone said the Tide and Tiger Classic. So we'll, uh, we're, we're, we're cooking something up here. You know, if you can stay away, like you said, from anything uh, outside of the Iron Bowl, because, again, the Iron Bowl, when you look at the roots of its name, Mike, when that game was exclusively played at Legion Field in Birmingham, Alabama, with all the ironworks and being here in the Steel City right now, standing in Legacy Arena as we speak, it it, it kind of lost its luster. The name stuck, but... Again, I feel that you can rename it outside of the Iron Bowl because when the game is no longer played in Birmingham, Alabama, what you have is that wonderful title that stuck for so long. Yeah, I mean, so that, I guess, the Iron City being uh, where the name Iron Bowl originates from, I, I like the history behind it. So, it, but I mean, I guess the Iron Bowl of basketball has never really been play I mean someone someone would have to clear that up for me obviously if you played in the postseason uh that would be a different case but I don't know regular season if it was ever played at a neutral site but anyway uh you know a little history lesson for you there absolutely and Mike you know when you start looking at yesterday we started getting into the NFL combine and everything that was taking place in Indianapolis and yesterday we did talk a lot for, with Shane Hallam from the draft countdown, and he talked about the difference between Will Anderson Jr. and one Jalen Carter being the overall number one pick that the Bears may decide to go with. I think it's a situation today to where a lot has occurred with Jalen Carter being charged with reckless driving and racing in that January 15th wreck that killed teammate Devin Willock and Stafford Chandler LaCroix. And Carter was in Indianapolis today at the NFL Combine, did not participate in the workout portion, but again there for team not even, I guess, medical evaluations or just team interviews necessarily, but does plan to return to Athens to turn himself in. And Carter did pull out his own statement and said he plans to be fully exonerated. He and his lawyer both said they're looking forward to defending themselves. And sometimes you've seen pre-draft 
instances to where you can go ahead and cost yourself millions of dollars by the decisions that you make. And this one going back to, again, an accident that took the life of two people. Yeah, uh, obviously a very difficult situation in Athens. Uh, you know, like you said yesterday, we were talking about uh, who's going to be the number if if uh, the Bears do stay in that slot. Who's going to be the number one pick? Jalen Carter or Will Anderson? Probably a very good chance before today that it was going to be Jalen Carter. And you know, we'll let the legal process play out. I, I don't want to make any big declarations on that. Um, obviously, it seems like he probably made some poor decisions that night and. Uh, is headed back to Athens to, to clear that up, uh, what, what that process is going to entail. I'm not exactly sure, but, um, you know, thoughts and thoughts and prayers to the whole Athens community, really. Well, it was a tra tragic situation, especially coming right off of that national championship. You're, you're at an all-time high, and you're, you're just euphoric in regards to, to being ecstatic and experience in what it is to be back-to-back -back national champions and because of it now you're you're really struggling trying to get the composure back knowing that you've lost a teammate as well as a staffer just a tragic situation and i know you're not guilty until you're proven so in a court of law but again you can't take away the fact that two lives were lost in a situation that probably could have been avoided if dangerous speeds were not reached by the vehicles that were involved. No doubt, and uh, it sounds like, unfortunately, that alcohol was involved, which is a difficult headline to read. Uh, again, you know, let the legal process play out and see what happens there, uh, but yeah, it's just a awful awful situation that again like you said it ended the lives of two people so well not only that michael you're speaking about the legal system and intoxication the fatal dui crash involving henry ruggs the third the las vegas raiders wide receiver it has been pushed off until preliminary hearing will be may the 4th and that's something that I know uh, was a tragic situation for not only the decision that was made by Henry Ruggs, but for the life that was lost also. And again, Henry Ruggs third having an opportunity to have his preliminary hearing scheduled for May the 4th. And that's just kind of back-to-back -back situations here from the legal system that really are involving NFL future players and Henry Ruggs III, who was a former NFL player waiting for his preliminary hearing date. You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And don't forget, listen for that motorboat sound for an opportunity to win a pair of boat show tickets this weekend that will be held at the Mobile Convention Center.
Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, producing the show back in Mobile, Alabama, behind the glass. And you can always reach him at 251-694-1055. I'm here at Legacy Arena in Birmingham, Alabama, which is hosting the AHSAA State Finals Basketball Tournament. And again, earlier today, the McGill Tulin Girls and boys both were defeated, and Foley girls will take the floor tomorrow. But here at Legacy Arena, March Madness, as you turn the calendar and it becomes March the 1st, a number one seed will be here in Birmingham, Alabama. It may be the Alabama Crimson Tide if things hold tight, but Legacy Arena, a wonderful gutted venue a couple of years ago that will host a regional here, a basketball regional site for the NCAA tournament. And Dan Woken, national columnist at USA Today Sports, is always following college football and basketball. want to welcome you, Dan, to the show this afternoon. Happy to be here. A lot going on with March Madness. I just mentioned it. A lot of bubbles will be burst as conference tournaments started on yesterday across the country. But when we sit and focus on the NCAA tournament, of course, Houston being ranked number one, Alabama being ranked number two earlier this week. And when you start looking at the other teams that are in there, UCLA and Kansas, I think the biggest shock to me really of the entire season is North Carolina coming up short and trying to fight themselves off of the bubble here in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they were preseason number one, came real close to winning a national championship, and when you bring back four of your five starters from that team, you certainly expect that they're going to be really good. But I think maybe it was a little bit of – I don't want to say deception, but that was a team that struggled for a lot of last year. They really started to play well in March, and they were hitting shots. Uh, they got to the tournament, and you know, let's face it, their, their path to the Final Four was uh, fairly um, manageable. You know, They played a Baylor team in the second round that lost their best player to injury, so they were pretty vulnerable, and, and they won that game. You know, they, they almost lost to UCLA, and it was kind of like a, a couple, you know, shots in this furious rally in the last couple minutes. They win that game. They end up playing St. Peter's in the Elite Eight, and then they play Duke in the Final Four, a Duke team that they were really familiar with and had, had beaten already. So, you know, maybe it was just a little bit too much to expect that they were just going to take all that momentum and get right back to the final again or the Final Four this year. Uh, but, you know, they have two guards who are really hot and cold players. When they're good, they're really good. Uh, and if they can get on that kind of roll again, maybe North Carolina can make some noise. But there's no doubt that uh, it's definitely been disappointing for a variety of reasons. And, you know, they're probably, if they get into the tournament, it's going to be as a pretty low seed or high seed, I should say. 
Well, I tell you why we are still talking March Madness. Of course, the NCAA Women's Tournament starts at the same time, and their conference tournaments have started. And this weekend, I had an opportunity to watch Caitlin Clark's game-winning shot against Indiana, and Indiana still stays in the top 25 at number two. But Iowa star Caitlin Clark, you wrote an article about going on the inside of her game-winning shot. And if you don't know Caitlin Clark's name from a women's basketball standpoint, you should, even from a basketball standpoint in general, you should definitely really get to know and watch her game, especially here in the postseason tournament for Iowa. Yeah, now just to be clear, I did not write that that story. Um, I believe that was my colleague, Lindsey Schnell, who's one of the best uh, women's basketball writers in the country. Uh, but, yeah, she's phenomenal. She's, she's must-watch TV. And, obviously, the women's tournament, I think, the last couple years has really uh, gained a huge audience. And I think it grows every year in terms of the, the people who, who are interested, who follow it. Obviously, South Carolina's on top of the sport right now. They've kind of gotten into that role that maybe UConn was in uh, for such a long time. So, a lot to be excited about for the women's tournament as well. But, uh, yeah, Caitlin Clark's definitely one of the most dynamic uh, stars in either men's or women's basketball. And I tell you, you know, tonight there will be some excitement at Coleman Coliseum, as I know all eyes on the country have continued to be on the Alabama Crimson Tide men's basketball program and Nate Oates and his comments, as well as the play of Brandon Miller kind of getting snubbed for SEC player or freshman of the week, that is. And the Alabama Crimson Tide are trying to win an outright regular season championship against the Auburn Tigers tonight who are fighting for their NCAA tournament life. I think that that's going to be an outstanding contest tonight also. Yeah, well, obviously any Alabama-Auburn game, there's a natural uh, tension and rivalry and a lot of intensity that's going to go into it from, from both sides. Uh, Alabama, as a team, trying to accomplish something very significant for, for their program to win an SEC title and maybe even more importantly to make sure they're a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, which uh, they, they almost certainly will be. But you know, if they, if they were to stumble down the stretch, it may come into question. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an uh, interesting couple weeks for Alabama. Uh, I think it's hard for a lot of people to get excited about them or to look at this as some type of feel-good story in the wake of, of what's happened. And, you know, and and I think just sort of the lack of remorse maybe that's been shown publicly in all of this, both from, you know, Brandon Miller, uh, which, you know, maybe may because he just hasn't said anything uh, publicly, but uh, also the program, it just seems like they're kind of going on business as usual here where everyone kind of looks at this situation and says, wait a second, you had three players at the scene of this shooting. One of them is now in jail. Another one uh, brought him the gun. Like, let's just take a step back here. But uh, Alabama, very focused on the basketball end of it. And, you know, it, it certainly looks like they, what they care about right now is winning. And they're having a good season, and we'll see where it takes them. Dan, if you had to pick someone in your early bracket to be busted, who, who, who do you feel that 
probably will get in the tournament that doesn't deserve to. We always have those two versus 15 upsets every single year. And I know when I'm filling out my bracket, I pretty much never, ever go with the 15 seed, even though I have four opportunities to choose it. Do you feel that there's a team probably out there that really no one wants to see, whether it be a mid-major team or just finding that Cinderella early here before March Madness even starts? Well, you know, it's uh, if it was easy to figure out who it was going to be, we, we'd all pick that team every year. But uh, <laughs> it's usually it's usually the one we don't expect. Uh, last year, nobody would have said Kentucky is a vulnerable number two seed, or that St. Peter's is you know that low major team that you really have to look out for. Yet, you know, they they ended up winning. Uh, so it's hard to say. I, look, I think you know a team like Purdue very very good has had a great season they're going to be you know number number one number two seed in the ncaa tournament but you know they've maybe hit a little bit of a wall here late in the season like are they going to stumble into the tournament on on fumes or are they going to get a second win when, when they get to the conference tournament those are the kind of things you want to look out for but at the end of the day there is just this randomness about the event and that's why people get so drawn into it that's why they get so excited about it uh i i remember being in the arena the night UMBC beat Virginia, the only 16 seed to beat a one. And uh, there was nobody talking about that as a game to watch. In fact, I remember uh, I was, uh, you know, contemplating leaving the arena and going, going to dinner because what, what's the point? And uh, I already had my column filed. What's the point in, in watching that game? But, you know, you start to watch and the number 16 seed hits a couple shots and they start playing with some confidence and, uh, Virginia gets a little bit nervous, and that's how this kind of stuff happens, and I don't think it's all that predictable. Talking to Dan Wolkin, national columnist, USA Today Sports. Uh, Dan, obviously a big headline out of Athens today with Jalen Carter yeah. at the Combine, uh, and then you know warrants being issued for his arrest stemming from the unfortunate tragedy uh, about a month ago involving a, a teammate and, and team staffer. Uh, I mean, I hate to even really ask this but how do you see if he's even if he's able to deal with the situation legally which he seems to believe he will uh how, how do you see this affecting his draft stock well i think there's there's going to be enough time between now and the nfl draft for everybody to get a little more information on on what his future is and maybe if he's in any sort of legal jeopardy uh he's been charged with two misdemeanors which suggests to me that this is not a situation where he's uh, going to you know end up in in jail or anything like that um so i don't know on that end of it you know does this situation raise character concerns uh that's something that people are going to have to reckon with for sure um Obviously, if, if what is being alleged is, is true, uh, it was extremely reckless, extremely stupid, extremely bad judgment. Um, and there's probably some things we don't know yet about the sequence of events and what happened. But uh, tragedy all around for sure. Um, you know, it's, it, it's the kind of story that feels like, like there's more that we're going to learn. Uh, but certainly, you know, Today, if you just sort of look at things through the prism of today, um, it takes what was already a, a tragic and awful situation 
and just makes it even that much more um, hard to stomach. Uh, but, you know, as it relates to, to Jalen Carter and, and what NFL teams are, are going to think of him, I, I think the only thing I can say right now is that, you know, they're, they're going to end up having to do their own deep dive into this and assess those two things. Is he in any sort of legal jeopardy that would impact his playing status? And B, does it raise enough of a character-slash-judgment concern that an NFL team would want to stay away? Well, I tell you, we go from a former NCAA player who's trying to make millions to someone who's dealing with a millions issue, and that's the new NCAA president, Charlie Baker, addressing the NCAA issues and NIL issues and also some of the legal things that are going on within the NCAA. I I think that Charlie Baker definitely has his hands full, and now that the NIL has officially become effective and it's a difference maker in collegian athletics a lot of people have called for the ncaa just to fold up shop and what do you feel will be the future of the ncaa and what can charlie baker do as the new or the new ncaa president yeah i I don't think the ncaa is going to fold up shop because the reality is if you just got rid of the ncaa you would replace it with something that looks a lot like the NCAA. And so I don't really see the point. But there do need to be some changes in in the overall structure. Uh, I think, you know, for for 95% of of what happens in college athletics, both at the, you know, Division I, Division II, Division III, you know, these are are sports uh, that that kind of run pretty well on the current system. Uh, You know, there's all of these schools – football and men's basketball and, and to a lesser extent maybe women's basketball and, and baseball sort of get all the attention, but there's a lot of sports, a lot of schools that operate just fine under the current model. But the problem becomes when you have this multi-billion dollar college football, college basketball that in some ways looks closer to the professional uh, sports league than it does teams and athletes on their own campus. So how do you sort of make that work together? And I think what Charlie Baker has done, and obviously today's his first day on the job, but he did a whole round of media interviews, and he sort of talked about, you know, maybe there's a way to, to treat those sports differently than, than all the others. And, look, I think pragmatically that makes sense. Like, why do we sort of have college football, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, all these schools – in, in kind of the same bucket as, you know, a, a Creighton, you know, women's volleyball team or something. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner coming to a conclusion of our number one here of the final drive and don't forget to listen up for that motorboat sound as you can win two boat show tickets that's right a pair of boat show tickets that wnsp is giving away to the boat show at the mobile convention center this weekend and you don't want to miss out on that just listen for the motorboat sound and then when you do hear it Give Michael Bronner a call at 251-694-1055. And 
some interesting topics of conversation about what should we name the Alabama-Auburn basketball game. Of course, Alabama can wrap everything up today or tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. with a regular season outright SEC regular season championship, not have to share it any longer with Texas A&M if they're able to win tonight. But some interesting names, the bragging rights, the Yellowhammer Classic, and I know we've had a couple of more names as well, and we would love to hear from you either in the app or give us a call. Some people said the Tide Tiger Classic, Crimson and Orange Clash, the Iron Game. What do you think it should be called, Mike? You say iBob, but again, I love the creativity of our listeners who know all about the Alabama-Auburn Iron Bowl football game and what it means, but what 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 do you what any other new names, Mike, that have come up in the app? Or Someone said the Iron Bowl? Hoop earlier. I, th- I thought that one was pretty good. Uh, hey, what does Tim Brando say? The Iron Unkind. Well, you know, it's one of those situations to where you still keep the roots of having iron in it. But I, I still think that th- there has to be a name that we come up with and that our listeners can come up with that we'll love to hear. What do you call the Alabama-Auburn basketball game? It's not the Iron Bowl because you say it's the Iron Bowl of basketball, but you can't call it the Iron Bowl because it's just a totally different matchup. That's for football alone. Hour number two coming up here on the final drive. Grant McCauley talking some Atlanta Braves baseball scheduled to join us here in the next hour. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to our number two of the final drive. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Bronner joining you this afternoon and want to thank everyone for tuning in to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and you know when it's springtime March the 1st we know that that means baseball and in this area the Atlanta Braves are always the team of topic definitely talked about from historic Hank Aaron on down to them winning the World Series a couple of years ago and a Braves reporter at 92.9 the game. Grant McAuley joins us this afternoon on Final Drive. Grant, good afternoon and thanks for joining us. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Appreciate you having me. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the Cactus League because that's where the Atlanta Braves are getting and spending a lot of time and you know, when you start trying to retool a roster from year to year, sometimes there's only a couple of changes that take place. And 
This year, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if it's the same Atlanta Braves roster necessarily, but there are some new household names. Michael Harris II, he really came onto the scene last year. As a matter of fact, I had an opportunity to see him make his debut one year ago, was sitting right next to his family. But outside of Michael Harris II, who else can we look forward to seeing have a great season for the Braves? Well, I think there's a lot of guys you can look for. And the good thing, I think, for the Braves and where they are now, and you talk about, you know, changes and what the winter can look like, what it needs to look like for a lot of clubs. It can be a winter full of comings and goings and transactions and all of those things. But I feel like the Braves were such a well-constructed roster and Michael Harris II being a big part of that. All these young players that signed these extensions, you kind of feel like you get to know the cast for a little while here. And that's not always the case for clubs, no matter how good they are. So when you think about Michael Harris II and Spencer Strider coming up last year, they both signed extensions. Austin Riley, Matt Olson. You already had Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Albies, and you know, this is a pretty good little cast that you've got going in addition to the Max Freeds and Kyle Wrights of the world. You bring over Sean Murphy from the Oakland Athletics. That's another big piece that's going to be with him for the next decade. This is a club that has a core that is built to last, and hopefully a core that is built to win the way that they have the last few years. So those names I threw out there, I think those are the ones that you'll come in year after year just looking for and saying, all right, well, this Austin Riley guy, I mean, he, he could win the MVP. Maybe this Matt Olson guy could. I know this Ron the Cunha Jr. guy might have a couple of years ago and he not gotten hurt. So there's a lot of excitement, I think, around Braves camp and a lot of anticipation for opening day 2023, which is only about four weeks away. Well, we talked about the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League and just having an opportunity really to get started. And what you mentioned is a month in and you having an opportunity to kind of learn the Major League Baseball rules. And one of those really hit <laughs> early for the Atlanta Braves, a pitch clock violation to where an Atlanta Braves batter did not get into the box soon enough and the bases were juiced. And next thing you know, there's an out being called by the umpire. And that's something that was shocking to the Atlanta Braves, but one of those big time adjustments that have to be made. I think shocking for everybody, and that was when we heard about these rules and the violations and the consequences for each violation being either an automatic strike on a batter who's not ready, an automatic ball on a pitcher who's not ready. If you throw over too many times, it's an automatic balk. I mean, this was going to take a minute to get used to, I think, but day one, game one, tie game, bases loaded, full count, two outs. I mean, that's not the scenario I thought we were going to see our first big run-in with this kind of thing, but baseball will show you something just about each and every day that you've never seen before if you go to enough games and that has been my experience but I will say this for the Braves and for the other 29 teams and Brian Snicker told me this in spring training over the last couple of weeks we need to get out there and get as many reps as we can so that we can learn this and kind of live this process so that when we get to opening day and the games that actually count that we've had time to make that adjustment and I think that's kind of what the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League right now they're trying to do whether it's Florida or Arizona everywhere in between if you're a Major League Baseball team you're just trying to get to know all the nuances we saw it again on what on wednesday afternoon where the braves were trying to kind of figure out a certain call because i think from a broadcast perspective and i'm sure from 
a fan's perspective, you need to know exactly who the umpire is calling it on a little more instantaneously. That's one critique I'd have for the early goings-on and the early violations. It just doesn't seem to be clear exactly who did what and when or who wasn't where they were supposed to be, more importantly, and when. And that is something we're all kind of learning together. On Valley Sports South and Valley Sports Southeast, a new voice for the Atlanta Braves as Chip Carey has gone on to take the television play-by-play duties for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, you know, that's a family affair there. But let's talk about this new voice of the Atlanta Braves that a lot of people will be hearing as they tune in to television. Yeah, I think they're going to be pleased with this process if you're – you know, I think in baseball and in life, change is going to come eventually. And for the Braves, having a carry in the booth dating all the way back to 1976 is a pretty darn good run. So it will be an adjustment. But I think that Brandon Gordon is going to bring in a certain gravitas. And I think the excitement about the opportunity of growing up as a Braves fan, attending World Series game uh, games, plural, as a youth, and having the opportunity to really kind of know the Atlanta area from his experience over at Georgia Tech, in addition to being a guy that's in your house in a totally different way by being the voice of Madden. So it's a really unique hire. But, you know, to go back to Chip Carey and, and his departure and going back to St. Louis, even that move has a lot of roots because that's where Harry Carey, Chip's grandfather, started out his career. So I think that this is kind of a full circle moment for that family and sometimes change and that, that new opportunity and that um, you know change of uniform, change of scenery, as we call it in baseball, after you get traded, that can be a really good thing for you. And I know Chip's excited about it. I know that the Braves organization, the Atlanta sports, you know, the Braves fans are something that's always going to be near and dear to him. But I think there's going to be a certain amount of excitement for him to, to go and do something new with a, a new fan base that has certainly been known to have its own successes in October. So it's just a, one of those parts of the business and one of those things that just kind of happens in the uh, the circle of life, as we like to call it, maybe in, in baseball, cartoons, and uh, whatever you may have. Also, the Atlanta Braves, and we were talking about this yesterday, how you have a player who is able to go ahead and extend themselves financially, a small market team like the San Diego Padres, and they have signed Manny Machado to huge money, 11-year, $350 million, that is. But Major League Baseball and the Braves – have a nice set of revenue that came in to the 2022 season. I'm sorry, what was the question? We were talking about the Atlanta Braves and the amount of money that has been made as far as the franchise annual revenue that you talked about, $588 million in 2022, according to Justin Toscano. And that's huge for post-record revenues for the Atlanta Braves, really coming off of a World Series and trying to make another World Series run last year. The success of the Atlanta Braves, sometimes a few years ago, prior to them winning the World Series, you could get tickets anytime you wanted to any game you wanted and sit anywhere you wanted. But last year in the World Series year, you just saw ticket prices and demand just skyrocket. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a hot ticket, and winning does that for a lot of things. I, mean, I like to say it's the best promotion you can have is a winning franchise, and I think that translates to all sports. So, you know, with the Braves and their record revenues, you're also seeing a record payroll for this club. They're over the luxury tax for the first time, so you want to, as a fan, see a correlation between a club posting a record revenue and what they're going to be spending on the field. And the Braves have certainly followed through on that. The World Series run, I think, lit the fuse for that kind of record revenue because we're talking year over year it was about 570 or so million dollars in 2021 upping that just a little bit more in 2022 who's to say that 2023 with a, again a very well constructed club and a team that has locked down its core for a long time to come that this might start being the the regular occurrence the annual rite of passage for the Atlanta Braves because they certainly expect themselves to be there come October and they'd like to see those fans packing the seats at Truist Park all the way through October and maybe those first couple of days in November as well. I think everybody would clear their schedule if it meant the Braves were in the World Series year after year. Talking to Grant McCauley, you can catch him on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. Grant, we talked a lot yesterday about you know the meat grinder that is the National League East. Obviously the Braves were, and I'll put my right hand up in June when the Mets went up seven games after uh, after the sweep. I went on this very program and and declared the division race over and you know I've I've since repented for that. It, it was it was a poor take at the time, but in all seriousness, what it seems like the Mets have improved. The Phillies were the third team in the division and and made a run all the way to the World Series last year. So it, yep. and on paper it's going to be even more challenging for the Braves to compete and ultimately win this division. So what what do you think they have to do to make that happen again? Well, their number one goal is always when it starts a postseason run to win this division. I talked to Brian Snitker about this just last week, and he said, yeah, I mean, it is. It's how not just punching our ticket for the postseason, but it's something that we've come to expect and something that we, you know, very much set out as our number one goal is win that division, and then that clears the road for everything else you want to do. But I think we all sat around and watched the New York Mets spend a ton of money to upgrade their club, which also won 101 games last year. They would have spent even more money if they could have gotten together with Carlos Correa on that physical. And then, of course, the Phillies went out. They got Trey Turner and Craig Kimbrell, and they, they, they strengthened their pitching staff and their bullpen overall uh, and added that to a club that went to the World Series a year ago. So very much, I think, three teams that are kind of at the top. I know the Marlins have gone out and made a series of kind of small additions, and they've got a good pitching staff. I mean, they got Sandy Alcantara leading that thing. So it's going to be tough, I think, you know, to go into Miami and feel like, hey, we can just push these guys over and win every single series. They did get a little bit better the Nationals are what they are which is a team deep into a rebuild and I don't expect a lot out of them but in a top heavy three team race you know whether the Phillies are a club that can really push into that 90 plus 100 plus win category we'll find out this year I'm sure that's what their sights are set on is also winning that division that's why they go out and give Trey Turner that kind of contract but you know the Braves and Mets they want to run it back do what they did last year but I think if Atlanta had anything to you know kind of maybe revise a little bit it might be not fun falling back by ten and a half games at any point next year because you just can't count on climbing out of that deficit and getting back onto the into the top and being able to win this thing again. So we'll see it in this new balance schedule. There's another little caveat to throw in there. Not as many head to head divisional games. Gonna be a fascinating season and a very different season than it was a year ago. Again the Atlanta Braves in Grapefruit League action, only one and two and they have some games scheduled tomorrow against the Mets around 12:10, but 
it's a situation to where each and every game, sometimes as we continue to get in mid-March and late March, you're looking at a situation to where you're really battling for roster spots, and that being AAA level, AA level. But you're having an opportunity as a prospect here, here in early March to make your mark. Yeah, you can put yourself on the radar, most certainly in spring training, even if you're not looked upon as somebody who's ready to make that roster. I mean, that's exactly what Michael Harris was able to do a couple of springs ago. I think Spencer Strider impressed the Braves as well in the spring of 2021, and he was coming off of what had been a Tommy John surgery that had kind of slowed him out of the gate in his professional career, but once people got a look at him, they pretty much understood where the hype was with this kid. So, you never know. I mean, Tyler Matzik was a non-roster guy that they liked in spring training of 2020. The COVID situation happened. They went home for two or three months, and Brian Snitker asked Alex Anthopoulos, hey, could you send that pitcher over that struck everybody out back in March so we could get another look at him? And that proved to be a pretty good call because Matzik had a good 2020 and even better 2021 and one of the most iconic moments you could think about uh, from a relief pitcher standpoint, maybe at anybody's standpoint, when he blew away the Dodgers in the clinching game of the NLCS last year. So I say that to, to point out that it could be all ages. It could be different roster spots, starting pitcher, center fielder, key reliever, whatever it is. And you have these reps in spring training. You want to make the most of them. And I'm sure all those Braves prospects, every non-roster invitee and even... Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Bronner joining you on this hump day. And, of course, so much going on with the Alabama-Auburn basketball game. And hopefully here within the next 10 to 15 minutes, we'll be talking with coach Wimp Sanderson about that he's been up here watching high school basketball at Legacy Arena and we've talked a couple of times with him to this week about coming on the show and just giving his overall thoughts about his time as head coach at the University of Alabama Alabama being ranked number one and of course taking on the Auburn Tigers tonight and Talking about high school basketball with Wim Sanderson, earlier today he got a, a chance to see a great 6A semifinal boys game. And unfortunately for the Mobile, Alabama area, it did not end the way that we would have liked it to as the Buckhorn Bucks. They defeat the McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets 65-57. to Buckhorn advances to the 6A state championship game. McGill Tulin season ends at 28 and 7, and the Yellow Jackets were led by Bennett Russ, who had 20 points in 28 minutes. But Buckhorn, they were led by one of the best, if not the best, freshman player in the country, Caleb Holt. Caleb Holt wound up having 33 points and 14 rebounds in 30 minutes and absolutely put in yeoman's work in the second half of action as Philip Murphy and the guys had won 19 consecutive games and really, to me, overachieved this year in regards to what they lost because anytime you lose Barry Dunning Jr., a Mr. Basketball in the state of Alabama a year ago, 
and you were beat by a Huffman squad in the Final Four last year in a classic go-down-to-the-wire type of game. This one really did not get away from McGill Tulin until the last minute and a half of the contest, and that's when Caleb Holt absolutely took over. But so far, again, McGill Tulin season does end at 28-7, and seven, and they were leading 30 to 27 at halftime and Bennett Russ hit a turnaround three-pointer to give a lot of momentum to Philip Murphy and then Buckhorn outscored McGill Tulin by one point here in the third quarter and Buckhorn absolutely went on a run the last minute and a half of the game as McGill Tulin couldn't buy a basket from a boy's standpoint and went almost three minutes of the final minutes of the game without a basket and they do lose 65 to 57 now the hazel green girls defeated the mcgill Tulin lady yellow jackets 49 to 22 and hazel green will punch their ticket to the 6a girls state championship game they're seeking title number six in a row head coach tim miller and his lady trojans earlier this year won 87 consecutive games and had that streak ended here by Hoover High School at the end of January. So now you're looking at Hazel Green at 35-1, and getting ready to take on the Huffman Lady Vikings for the 6A Girls State Championship. And Buckhorn's, Buckhorn's boys will play Mountain Brook, and that will be an outstanding contest as well. We still have... The Foley Lady Lions yet to play tomorrow. They will take on Sparkman, the Lady Senators, at noon here. Foley making history for the first time, boys or girls, in the Final Four here in the AHSAA. And, of course, we do have St. Luke's playing for a state championship on Friday morning. And we want to wish... Gareth Trawick and his St. Luke's Wildcat squad the best of luck in trying to bring home that blue map back to Mobile, Alabama as not too often does Mobile, Alabama have a state champion in basketball. You go back and you look at the success the last couple of years or a few years rather. You have, of course, Daryl Walton at LaFleur came away with the state championship. Philip Murphy came away with the state championship. Shumbay Hunter at Williamson came away with the state championship. So really, from a basketball standpoint, those are the only state championships that we've been able to come away. We've had a couple of runner-up opportunities, but really would love to see St. Luke's make history and win that blue map. And, of course, we've been talking all afternoon long about what you would love to see the iron bowl of basketball michael Bronner wrote an article about it called the ibob the iron bowl of basketball what would you name it we talked about that topic earlier this week oh chuck called with a good one what what, what did chuck come <laughs> up with he might he might have ended the conversation I, I i put it in the app uh, Chuck called, you know, our resident stat guy who says he's not a stat guy, but always comes with the best stats. Chuck called and su suggested the Bammer Barner Classic. That's been my favorite <laughs> one so far. And, and, and you do have both of those fan bases that are related 
in that name there. So, Chuck, go ahead and trademark that one, brother, to to get yourself started there or go ahead and yeah, put that and on a shirt before I do. There you go. Trademark that one. And that's a great name. I, I like a couple of the other one. The Yellowhammer Classic is, you know, stays neutral there and gives props to the state. And you really don't know what two teams were playing there. But again, bragging rights somebody made that suggestion mike but there's been a few but you, you still like the iron rim classic is one sean jones says the iron rim classic i like that one as well so thanks for getting in that app sean but iron buckets is something that was mentioned as a name but there definitely needs to be a trademark name that can go hand in hand with this Alabama-Auburn basketball rivalry. And again, tonight, it's for really all of the regular season marbles. And what do I mean by that? We talked a week and a half ago about the must-win for the Auburn Tigers having to defeat Missouri, and they were able to do that in astounding fashion right there at Neville Arena. But if Auburn loses tonight, it's going to be real tough for them and there's going to be a lot of pressure on them not only in their season finale but also in the sec tournament mike for them to find a way to get it done yeah they i mean again auburn we said yesterday they they win one of these last two against alabama tonight or tennessee on saturday they're they're probably okay uh, and probably are a lock to make it but you lose these two you're in some trouble uh, you, and you put yourself in a spot where if you were to have a bad game in the SEC tournament and get knocked out in the first round of the SEC tournament, you very well may not be in. That's ending the season with four straight losses going back to Kentucky uh, and the last win being a four-point win at home over a terrible Ole Miss team. I mean, that's putting yourself in a really, really tough spot if you're the Auburn Tigers there. So... I mean, I, I don't believe they're going to win tonight. I think Alabama is going to win tonight relatively handily. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, by what I've heard from uh, from student sources, there have been people lining up since 10 a.m. outside of Coleman Coliseum. So, it, it, I mean, it's going to be loud tonight. It's going to be a difficult environment to play in. I do believe Alabama is going to win tonight. But Tennessee at, on Saturday, very winnable game. I, I mean, are you – you always hate to see this, but Zakai Ziegler went down for Tennessee last night with a uh, looks like a non-contact knee injury. He, he he might be in some trouble. I mean, you always you always hate to see that fantastic uh, guard for Tennessee. Uh, so, but you know, to Auburn's benefit, Tennessee's going to be easier to beat on Saturday. That's just that is the reality of the situation, and that's a game that you're going to need to win to make the NCAA tournament, or at least to lock up. Uh, an NCAA tournament bid, so I, I, I do believe that Auburn beats Tennessee on Saturday, uh, but we'll see what happens tonight. Well, last night in SEC action, Florida defeated Georgia 77-67, to and Tennessee absolutely took it to the Arkansas Razorbacks, 75-57, to and that's the type of Tennessee team that we're used to seeing, and I was, I really thought the Razorbacks would have an opportunity to have that game a lot closer. And, of course, Texas A&M, they squeaked by Ole Miss 69-61, to an interim 
coaching spot for the Ole Miss Rebels as Win Case has taken over and he was able in his debut to defeat LSU and Mississippi State to defeat South Carolina. And, of course, tonight you do have Auburn and Alabama at 6 o'clock p.m. You can hear that game right here on WNSP. And Vanderbilt and Kentucky play one another and Missouri and LSU and if you look at Missouri and Auburn both of them in the standings of the SEC are right together Auburn being nine and seven Missouri being nine and seven but Auburn having defeated Missouri in this last contest makes it tough so we'll see what happens when Tonight, Alabama favored by 10 points. And you mentioned the environment there at Coleman Coliseum and the students getting there early. It was second to none when college game day came a couple of weeks ago and filled up Neville Arena as they were camped out early with tents to create an absolutely outstanding environment there on the plains. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's always going to be the case. Uh, we know Neville Arena offers one of, if not the best, home court advantage in college basketball. And I mean, Alabama was pretty clear. I mean, this team is is special in that I don't think they get rattled is not the right word. Uh, playing on the road, I mean, had a huge win at Houston. It was loud in there. Uh, at Arkansas earlier in the season, didn't seem to be phased by the crowd noise. At Auburn. Uh, but, you know, they were sloppy in the first half, whether that's just because Auburn played well or Alabama was affected by the crowd. Uh, it's up up to you to decide. Uh, but, yeah, of course, it's, it's harder to play in a loud environment than it is uh, than it is your home arena. So we'll see if I mean, and Auburn played a really good game. They only lost by eight, they lost by eight points and really was Alabama pulled away in the last couple minutes. Uh, you know, it looked like for a while there Auburn was going to win the game. So, I mean, they need to play better tonight than they did last game at home, which is a tall task because they played pretty dang well last time. Well, I think that that's what you're sitting and you're dealing with. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing a situation to how Alabama continues to respond, being a 10-point favorite, knowing that you want to make history. And Bruce Pearl made his comments to his team today, the sense of urgency, knowing with two games remaining on the schedule – what what's at stake and what you have to do in order to get in and you know coach pearl and coach flanagan they they don't they don't have they they since the game plan they bring the game plan they don't go out there and make a layup they don't make a free throw they don't have a turnover and they just put their players in the best situation to win games and we'll see exactly what happens when that is done yeah i mean i think bruce pearl has been pretty open and honest with his team about exactly what they need to do uh, in terms of locking up a tournament bit, where they're at now, uh, what they need to do to secure a bid, and what happens if they, you know, he's he said he's gone through all the situations with them. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm, I, I think Auburn keeps it close in the first half, and then I, I think uh, ultimately Alabama is just too much and is able to pull away in the second half. Well, if they pull away in the second half to begin the game again, what what do you want to call this game, Mike? You say I-Bob is what you call it, I-Bob. I, I like Chucks, I man. I, I like the Bammer-Barner Classic. 
That's the best one. That's the catchiest one I've heard so far. Well, if you have a nickname for the Alabama-Auburn basketball rivalry, because we don't want to call it the Iron Bowl of basketball, because, again, we affiliate the Iron Bowl with the football series that have gone on in Birmingham, Alabama for so long and so many years prior to it moving to on-campus stadium. So we would love to hear from you at 251-694-1055 or hit us up in the app. What would you call it? What would you call Alabama-Auburn basketball's rivalry? And, would, you know, you get a T-shirt out there, trademark it. You mentioned it, Mike. Chuck had a pretty good one. And we encourage him to go ahead and trademark that one because we, you definitely heard it here first from Chuck calling up Mike on the team. the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And don't forget to listen to that motorboat sound or for that motorboat sound. When you hear that motorboat sound, you will be eligible to win two tickets to the Mobile Boat Show this weekend. And that's important for all those involved wanting to see all the spectacular boats that are going on. And you can do that once you go ahead and tune in to listen for that motorboat sound that will be coming up here on WNSP. And we mentioned just moments ago, the McGill Tulin boys and girls both fell here at Legacy Arena as I was sitting courtside broadcasting that game with my partner, Luke Robinson. And that's a tough situation there. And, of course, when you start looking at what goes on here the last couple of games in the NCAA regular season, of course, you mentioned moments ago, Michael, Zakai Ziegler nominated for possibly being one of the best Naismith defensive players of the year. He goes out with a, a torn ACL officially, and that definitely hurts the Tennessee Volunteers this late. They, they, they did officially call an ACL, did they? I, I hadn't seen that. They did. Oh, they man. did, and, and that's huge I when you start talking about the last couple of games that are remaining for the Tennessee Volunteers, again, taking care of business last night against Arkansas, but the remaining schedule for the Tennessee Volunteers, Auburn, and, of course, going into the SEC tournament is going to be tough. Yeah. I, it's going to be interesting. I mean, well, it's interesting. They play, actually played a really good game against Arkansas last night after uh, Ziegler, Ziegler went down early. It wasn't late in the game. So we'll see. I mean, and again, we saw on Saturday how good of a defensive team Arkansas was. And, uh, I mean, Arkansas played poorly last night, but uh, Tennessee played well as well. I, it's tough. I mean, their their entire offense has, has run through Ziegler for a lot of the season. So, you know, losing him for the rest of the year, uh, it's going to really be a test of Rick Barnes and, and, and now the depth on that team, Santiago, Santiago Vescovi. We're going to... Uh, we're going to see what that team is made of. I mean, they they gave Alabama problems. They're they're tough. They're mean. But 
Really, uh, Ziegler on offense is the straw that stirs the drink. A and so they, they might be in some real trouble, unfortunately. Yeah, that's sad to hear. And anytime you get this far along in your career and then you have an opportunity to where it's an ACL that sometimes takes anywhere from five to seven months, I, I think that you want to see Tennessee at their best because – once you get past the SEC tournament, you start rooting for the conference. You want to see the conference do well. And the conference and the teams, again, Tennessee being a top-ranked team in the country. And when you're a top-ranked team in the country prior to losing four out of your last six, it's a different situation. Yeah, and again, you, you want to head into uh, the postseason with positive momentum and Again, Tennessee played really well last night, so, I mean, a costly win, I guess, is is what you call it. Um, you know, Arkansas, I'll, you know, we didn't say it. Uh, no one's called me out, but I'll call myself out. I did predict Arkansas to uh, to win last night, and they went and played probably their worst game of the season so far. They went and got smoked by a Tennessee team that, again, lost their best player early in the, early in the game. Uh, so Arkansas is kind of a team on the bubble now, too. I believe they play Kentucky to finish the season, if I'm not mistaken. And they might need to win a couple games in the SEC tournament, too. So it very just uh, it, it's really all coming to a head here in the, uh, in the, at the conclusion of the SEC basketball season. Well, that's what you want to see. I mean, Saturday, you look at your matchups. Of course, Alabama, Texas A&M playing one another and we felt that that game was going to come down or we wanted it to come down to that winner take all mentality but when it gets switched to what you call the i-bob the iron bowl of basketball and having an opportunity to cut down those nets that's a pretty great matchup you're right tennessee and auburn meet one another on saturday kentucky and arkansas also meet at one o'clock on cbs so that's how you'll end the regular season there and We'll see the Mississippi State Bulldogs are a team that a lot of people aren't talking about in the Southeastern Conference. They're 20 and 10 and having a lot of success. And I think that if they go ahead and finish out the season strong against Vanderbilt, I feel that they'll have an opportunity again to make the SEC tournament. But you, you, a lot of people haven't heard a lot from the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Mike, eight and nine in SEC play, not an outstanding yeah. record in SEC play, but overall, you it's tough to kind of overlook a 20 win team, especially when one of those wins were against a Texas A&M team yeah. that you really was playing their best basketball prior to that loss. Yeah, uh, I mean, for Mississippi State's a hard one to figure out. I mean, they, they gave Alabama all they could handle at Coleman Coliseum. On, I believe it was the first game of the SEC uh, schedule when Alabama played them at Mississippi State. I think Alabama won by, like, 11, but Mississippi State might have missed, like, 15 free throws. And they, if they shot better free throws, they honestly would have had a good chance to win the game. Uh, so Mississippi State's a team that, that's that been hard to figure out. You know, they ha they've had opportunities. Obviously, they pick up that big win against A&M over the weekend, which uh, certainly gives them a shot if, if you beat Vanderbilt. And, again, a, a lot of it is weighed on this conference tournament i saw mississippi state last night right in that last four in so so uh you know they sh they should be okay 
Uh, but again, for a lot of these teams, it's 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 close, and and uh, the fans are going to be sweating it out on selections. I mean, remember what happened to A and M last year? They come to Coleman Coliseum in the last game of the regular season, destroy Alabama. I think they won by like eleven in Coleman Coliseum, and then they go all the way on this miracle run to the SEC tournament championship, lose to Tennessee, and get left out. Uh, so you you got to leave no doubt if you're if you're a team on the bubble right now. Yeah, that's that's what you have to do. Leave no doubt at all. And I tell you that how you can make your mark, even though Texas A&M, they were going to take the automatic bid away from the Tennessee Volunteers had they won that a year ago and wouldn't have had to worry about sitting around on Selection Sunday and playing in the NIT or any other postseason tournament outside of the big dance. But weren't able to pull it out. And I tell you, Mike, on the other side of this break here, we have Wimp Sanderson scheduled for 530. And, of course, we will be talking with A.J. McCarron at 5 o'clock from the St. Louis Battlehawks as he's 2-0 and and has his team and franchise going in the right direction. We'll get his thoughts about his XFL season so far. And again, talk to Wimp Sanderson, former head coach at the University of Alabama at 530 here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens. And when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM sports radio, WNSP. WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner. And again, I'm located here at the Legacy Arena at the BJCC. And it's been an outstanding tournament so far, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. As today, you look at the McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets, both men and women come up a little bit short of their state championship game appearance, but at the same time, a tremendous season by Philip Murphy and Carla Berry, two of the best coaches, and you start looking at Philip Murphy and what he's been able to accomplish five out of eight years. I think he's made it up here to Birmingham. Carla Berry played for multiple state championships in 7A and 6A as well, and her team found a way to get back over that hump, making their first appearance, I do believe, in 6A as a program. But they came up a little bit short today, running against that buzzsaw. 49-22 to a 22 was the final score here at the Legacy Arena in this 6A girls basketball. Hazel Green moves on to 35-1. and one and will play for a state championship later on in the week. And Buckhorn boys, their phenomenal freshman, Caleb Holt, took over. And Caleb Holt is probably one of the top ten freshmen in the country. And he showed it today. The young man, 16 out of 19 from the free throw line alone, had 33 points and 14 rebounds in 30 minutes as he proved to be a little bit too much, had just a field day in the second half, uh, attacking the rim and, and left it all out on the floor. And 
Buckhorn will be playing for a 6A Boys State Championship. And, of course, we had St. Luke's to come away as winners earlier this week, and they'll be playing for an opportunity to win the school's first ever blue map. And looking forward to covering that game. And don't forget, coming up here at 5 o'clock, A.J. McCarron from the St. Lewis Battlehawks of the XFL scheduled to join us along with Wimp Sanderson. You don't want to miss this next hour here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. to the final drive, hour number three here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by my producer, Michael Brauner, behind the glass, who has been taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And one of the things we've been talking about is, of course, in football, with Alabama and Auburn playing one another, it's known as the Iron Bowl, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, rivalry in college football. And as I was growing up, a great rivalry in college basketball as well as our next guest making his debut on the final drive on WNSP is Wimp Sanderson, former head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Good evening, Coach, and welcome to the final drive. Well, thank you. Glad to be on. Coach, I tell you, I've had an opportunity to sit and watch high school basketball with you here this week at Legacy Arena. And, I, you know, I'm not quite sure if you saw the young man's performance from Buckhorn today. He's a freshman, did. Coach. Did you? Did, I mean, this young man, Caleb Holt, he had yeah, 33 sorry. points, 14 rebounds in 30 minutes, Coach. And he's only a freshman. And I, his lower body, just the explosiveness that he shows, he took over the game today against McGill Tulip. Well, he's a good player. He's going. Um, he's got a lot to learn, but he's uh, got a lot, got a lot, a, lot, a, a lot of talent. He's a nice-looking kid, strong kid, and gonna get stronger and a good shooter, and uh, should be a very good player. Yeah, you're right. Well, I tell you, Coach. You know the Legacy Arena. You made this home and what we call the Wimp Invitational for the SEC tournament when it was held here at the BJCC. But since it's been renovated, I tell you, I love the renovations that they made. And 
have to be excited for Birmingham and the surrounding areas knowing that a regional is going to come back here to Legacy Arena from March Madness. Yeah, that's, it's good. Uh, we, um, we were fortunate enough to play and it'll be a second seed uh, in the regional some time ago, and Alabama's going to be a one seed and, uh, and be in Birmingham, I'm sure. And so it's, uh, and of course, the arena's uh, quite, changed quite a bit since we played it eight years ago. But it uh, should be a very interesting and entertaining um, series of uh, NCAA games. Uh, Alabama's awfully good, so it should be uh, really good. Alabama 25-4, and four, number two ranked in the country, taking on Auburn tonight at 19-10. and 10. Coleman Coliseum is going to be rocking. And I know you were a part of so many great battles against the Auburn Tigers, and none better for me growing up than with your buddy Sonny Smith, who has an opportunity to do the home games for the Auburn Tigers. But this Alabama-Auburn matchup tonight, can Alabama cut down the nets under Coach Nate Oates against their arch rival Auburn? Well, you would think so. They uh, they score from all positions. They they're awfully good rebounding basketball team. They shoot the three well. They get inside the three point line and score a lot of points. They run the break well. Uh, I think the rebounding for them is they get a lot of second and third shots on misses, and they limit you to not many shots when you're on the offensive end. They're, they pretty much cover up the boards to keep you from getting about one and done. So I would say uh, I would say that um, Alabama will, you know, they've already tied for the championship, and and uh, I would think that uh, this will be this will be the final final game as far as the championship is concerned. Yes. Coach, uh, Alabama hasn't really reached the level of consistency on the basketball court that it has since uh, it was under your leadership, you know, 10 out of 12 years in, in the NCAA tournament, six Sweet 16 appearances. How, how can NATO get to that level of consistency and ultimately take this program to the next level, to heights that it really hasn't seen in its entire history? Well, he's on his way. They've had uh, they've had awfully good teams. Uh, uh, didn't didn't play quite as well last year, but year before that, they 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 played awfully well, and they're playing awfully well this year. Things have changed a lot. I, I had uh, the schedule has always been big to me. We've had to play everybody home and home. Uh, this day and time, you don't do that anymore. You have three teams that you play every year, and then they put two other teams with you. Uh, this year, Alabama got uh, Vanderbilt and. And Arkansas put with them with the other three that they play, uh, LSU, uh, State, and Auburn. So um, I, I think uh, I think you know they're on the way to having a great you know a great another great year. And I guess uh, the biggest thing, of course, is recruiting. You have to have you have to have you have to get good players, better players than your opponent, and you have to get those guys to play. Uh, sometimes if you get good players, they don't play as hard as they should, and then there's only one answer for that, and that's the bench. And if you you can't do that with Alabama because if they don't play, then you've got ten guys that can play, and if uh, somebody is not playing to their capabilities, then they've got somebody that's just about as good, which means their recruiting has been good uh, to take their place. So this is an Alabama team that that scores from all areas of the floor. They're pretty good defensively. They're better defensively this year than they were last year. And I think besides all of that, they're the number one rebounding team in the in the league. I think uh, there are times that he t they don't turn they turn it over too much, uh, but not to the point that they get beat. They turn it over sometimes, and 
about the only chance Auburn will have tonight would be to, you know, force some turnovers, control the tempo of the game, and shoot it better than they've been shooting it. And, and um, you, you know, you can't go by one game. Uh, when you get to tournament play, this is not tournament play. It's, you know, it's one and done. Sometimes – Sometimes the best team doesn't always win. The, the the best team that night wins. But I think tonight, uh, just in looking at it, and I'm a, I'm not a coach anymore. I'm a spectator, I guess you'd say. But I would say that um, that this is a good chance for Auburn, for Alabama, to go ahead and win. And if you want to say uh, win win the uh, SEC outright, then you can say that. Coaches, March 1 has officially hit all of our calendars. It is officially March Madness, and it's that time of the season to where I know you embraced as a head coach. And I, I just wanted to go back and, and think about a couple of your greatest moments as the head coach at the University of Alabama. I know having an opportunity to, to recruit people like Wendell Hudson, to the University of Alabama and making him a trailblazer, a future All-American or an All-American Wendell Hudson was, and then learning what you did for one CM Newton and having your own recruiting success. When you guys have reunions for these SEC championship teams, or is there any team or moment that really sticks out to you the most while you were having those wonderful plaid sport coats on the sidelines? Well, I don't really compare teams too much. I'm real proud of some of the games that we won and very disappointed in some of the games that we lost. We got uh, two games away from the final four or six times and couldn't get there, and that's, that's disappointing. We uh, we were able to play awfully well in the SEC tournament. We got in the final game nine out of 12 years, which is almost unheard of. Uh, we We won the championship at Kentucky, which is not easy to do. And uh, we beat UCLA when they were number one in the country. I, I think about a few of those games. I also back in my mind, you know, the Viola Miramont game that we lost, 62 to 60, which was a disappointment and a game that we thought we were doing the right thing, and it turned out we got beat by two. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of games I think about that uh, I wish we had done things maybe a little bit different, but. Uh, we we were fortunate to recruit good players. I recruited the players for CM and uh, for the for Coach Riley, and then um, I've started with my staff recruiting the players for myself for 12 years, and um, we had we had good players. But I think it's a, the main thing is you have good players who play hard, and if they don't play hard, there's only there's only one solution to not playing hard, and that's that's the bench. And so with if you've got that kind of if they understand you. And I think our guys, after a while, understood me. I was a little bit different than the previous coaches. Um, you know, you either you either did what we asked you to do, or you you set up with me. And I, we had um, we had success because we had good players, not because of me. We tried to control them somewhat, tried to keep recruiting. Had good minority players in the state of Alabama. Uh, I recruited for a long time before we ever even looked at a minority player. Uh, we, we were all recruiting all Caucasians when I first came in and, and stayed there for uh, 12 years without, without any uh, minorities on our team. And I think that's the breakthrough when you do have a, a player like Wendell Hudson. And you see his name in the banners and in the rafters there making that history and having to endure so much during that time, Coach. 
If you were to look back and see how the game of basketball has evolved and changed, just like football, you know, it used to be three yards in a cloud of dust, but now in basketball you're starting to see young kids just wanting to shoot like Steph Curry without putting in being able to hit a layup. And it's a situation. How have you seen the game change? Well, I guess you'd say, in light of what you said, you know, the three-point shot has changed to some. Um, Mike Davis played for me, and his son, Antoine Davis, is about to break Pete Maverick's record of threes uh, nationally. I had Mike on my show the other day. Um, Mike was a very fine player for me. He didn't score the way his son did. But um, I think, you know, the first thing anybody says, generally speaking, is, is a, is a three-point shot. The other factor is we don't go to the post, man. We don't go to the post for the ball as much as we used to. I had I had Bobby Lee Hurd. I had uh, um, Derek McKee. Um, you know, I had Leon Douglas. I had a lot of post people, and we went to the post a lot and 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 played played inside outside. And in this day and time, they're playing a little bit more outside inside. They're playing more outside and then getting it to the post on occasions. So I didn't do it didn't do it like that. Um, we didn't have the three-point shot when I very first, uh, you know, started coaching. But uh, our, our team, uh, you know, was a little bit similar. And I'm not going to compare teams, but our, our team that we got was it second. I mean, we always got really bad draws. We were, we were in the NCAA. We were eight, nine, and ten. Uh, we had a great game against North Carolina and, and um, lost by five the year they won the national championship. But uh, you know we were we were close, but um, didn't get in the final four, and it's very hard to do that. So I, w- I would say our team uh, that, that Mike and them played on was you know was a, was a two seed. Alabama is going to be a one seed here in Birmingham um, in in a couple of weeks, and we were a two seed in, in Birmingham and uh, moved on from there. So it's it's a little bit similar, but as far as comparing players and comparing teams. I'm very careful. I I, had, I I was able to recruit a lot of good players for T.R. Dunn and Reginald King and and Leon Douglas and a lot of good players when I wasn't the head coach. And then we recruited a lot of good players when I was the head coach. No question about it. We're speaking with Wim Sanderson, former head coach at the University of Alabama, and had an opportunity to rub shoulders with Coach Sanderson earlier this week and ask him to come on to the final drive. And can't thank him enough for taking time getting ready for this iron bowl of basketball. And, Coach, we've had a caller. What we've wanted to do here is name the Alabama-Auburn basketball game because you can't call it the iron bowl of basketball. And we had one of our callers, Michael, tell Coach what he chose to name it and what we felt would be the best name so far. Well, Coach, we had about, like, 80 different people call in today. You know, I, I – Crimson, crimson, orange. We, we, there were about eighty different names. My personal favorite one was the Bammer Barner Classic. What do you think about that one? No, oh, that's fine. I mean, anything y'all like is is what you need to use. I, I have, <laughs> I, I have never really thought about it that much. Uh, you know, we just tried to get ready for every game that we played, and we did get ready. It was uh, for the basketball game for me when I was coaching was not one of the eighteen. It was different than one of the 18. It was the game uh, that was set aside, or the two games that were set aside that were more important to me personally than the others. Now, it counts the same number, either a, either a win or a loss. But for me personally, 
when I was coaching uh, against several coaches that, that coached at Auburn, uh, the game meant more to me than other games. Uh, should it be that way? Probably not. That's what it was. That's what it was. No question about it. Coach Wim Sanderson joining us here. Last couple of moments here with Coach Sanderson. And, Coach, you know, I, I wear a 42R, and I, I know – I don't know if you have anything that would be a plaid player like still in your closet for a 42R, but, you know, I, I am a 42R. But Nate Oates looks like he tried to get – Defended by T.J. McConnell. Kyrie changes direction. He shoots for the lead. have won back-to-back -back games for the first time since January. All right. uh, let's bring in Roy Hudson from Community Bank. Uh, he's a winner, as we heard, some NBA as a winner. Ron Arrow sitting in with me, and we still have a lot to get to in addition to um, Jeff Hodge, who is our scheduled guest at 8.30. That should be fun to hear you and Jeff, reminisce a little bit. You know, we're into March Madness. Let's talk to Roy Hudson, though, of Community Bank. Roy, good morning. How are you today? Hello, Roy? Yeah, hey, good morning. How hey, are you? Great to have you on with us. We've been talking a lot of basketball as we get ready. Auburn's got a, a they, they got a biggie. Uh, hopefully they can either beat Alabama or Tennessee and secure their place in the NCAA tournament. But we know this. Community Bank has secured its place as a bank unlike others. Why is that? Oh, Lee, I think it's, uh, it's our products and our services. That's our well-trained, seasoned bunch of uh, bankers that we have. I think Coach uh, Arrow sitting in there with you. He'll tell you that when he looks down the bench and sees a, a talented group, that's what we have here at Community Bank, just a, a talented uh, bunch of bankers. So when you call on them, they're ready to serve. And I invite everyone in to come and, and speak one of one of our bankers. I thought you were going to say that I owed you money. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, but uh, we can make that happen. <laughs> no, I'll pass. <laughs> Roy, how's the, uh, the new bank coming along? Oh, it's coming along nice. We saw some pictures the other day, and uh, hopefully we'll have that open in a, a few months down at uh, the Gulf Shores area. So for all of our listeners and your listeners that, that uh, go down there on the weekends during the summer, they'll have a uh, – a place to go uh, going down there on a Friday to uh, do some banking if they need to. Good time to invest now in banking because aren't the interest rates a little bit better? <clears throat> yeah, it is a great time to come in and get some CDs. And another thing that's happening right now, Lee, in March, we typically see a lot of people come in and get IRAs for retirement planning and uh, tax planning. So we have a great rate out there right now of 5% on new contributions only. But uh, that is a fantastic rate uh, for people to take advantage of. So invite them in. Very good. Hey, Roy, it's a pleasure to have you on with us. We'll check in with you next week. Thank you so much. Roy Hudson with Community Bank. Ronnie, tell our listeners how they can come to one of your many, many clinics uh, that you have been doing for years now. Well, uh, on Tuesday or on, I'm sorry, on Sundays and Mondays, we do it in Mobile. Uh, we'll be back at Norwood Church. Uh, Covenant Church was nice enough to let us use their church uh, while Nowood was redoing their floor, and I appreciate it. And then on uh, Tuesday nights, we're across the bay uh, at Fairhope United Methodist Church, and you can contact me, uh, grades 2 through 12. We get them started the right way with their skill work uh, at ronniearrow at gmail.com. 
which has been uh, uh, I, I'm enjoying doing that. We've we've had kids that have gotten some scholarships. Uh, we've had some kids that have gone from not starting to starting. Uh, I think we still have uh, two girls. We have, we we have two girls at McGill that's playing on the team. And, uh, the the game today? Guy. Yeah. Oh, we wow. have one girl, I mean, one guy on the guys' team. So we, we, we're, we're starting to venture out now. Our younger kids are getting older and getting in high school. And uh, Coach Richardson, uh, who does AAU work, put on a tournament this past weekend for All-Stars for uh, the eighth graders, which was really good. Ronnie Arrow and yours truly, Lou Chervani, along with Nick Wiggins. we got about 30 more minutes to go. It's 8.30, expected to be joined by Jeff Hodge. Yeah, that's Coach Robinson, not Coach Richardson. Coach gotcha. Robinson. Thanks, Does Ronnie. a lot for AU work here. here on WNSC 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner. We've had a great show today, Mike. And again, want to thank all our phenomenal guests that were able to join us today. Daniel Wolken, Grant McCauley, Wimp Sanderson, A.J. McCarron, all joining us today on the final drive and again as i'm in birmingham alabama we've had a little bit of technical difficulties with our tie line but we'll wrap up the show here the old-fashioned way on the cell phone and again to give you a recap the mcgill tulin boys and girls came up short today mcgill tulin girls fall to five-time defending state champion hazel green 49 to 22 and the mcgill tulin boys fall to Buckhorn, 65-57. to 57. And that's just a tough situation there when you start talking about it for the McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets. Also, not only the McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets coming up short, Yesterday's UMS Wright Bulldogs, Lady Bulldogs, came up a little short along with Hillcrest Evergreen. But fear not, Foley, the Lady Lion, will play tomorrow at noon versus Sparkman in the 7A girls semifinal. And also St. Luke will be coming on to the big stage on Friday as I will be doing the PA announcing for that game. And Alabama-Auburn getting ready to come up here on WNSP 105.5. Mike, you talked about it. You think Alabama will cut down the nets and be regular season SEC champions after tonight's matchup. Yeah, you better get it done tonight. A&M, it's not going to be easy at A&M. On, I mean, not that it's going to be easy tonight, but, uh, you know, easier to win at home than it is on the road. So, uh, you know, tonight's the opportunity. Students have been lined up since 9, 10 a.m. I, I saw videos and pictures of uh, just how many students were lined up around the, around the whole block. So, uh, go get it done tonight. Not only in the news, besides Alabama Army, Jalen Carter today charged with reckless driving and racing in the January 15th car accident 
They killed teammate Devin Willick and Stafford Chandler LaCroix, and Carter expected to turn himself in in Athens, and he says he plans to be fully exonerated after the truth comes out. So we'll see if that makes his draft stock drop here when the April NFL draft takes place. But, again, we tried to rename the Alabama Auburn basketball game. What did you call it, Mike? The eyeball? Yeah, that was the original, and I, I think the Bammer Barner Classic was the winner of the day. The Bama Barner Classic, and I want to thank all our great guests again. Grant McCauley of at 92.9 The Game. A.J. McCarron from the St. Louis Battlehawks joined us. Wim Sanderson, former head coach at the University of Alabama, along with Daniel Wolkin from USA Today. And again, Mike, great high school basketball here tomorrow. The Foley girls will play at noon, and... I would definitely keep everyone posted to see how that game went. And, of course, we have St. Luke taking the stage on Friday morning, and we'll see how that winds up. It's been another great edition of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Look forward to talking with everyone tomorrow.